There was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California, and he had taught there for 20-plus years, and he had several classes that he taught, but one in particular was his favorite class, and within this class, the whole purpose behind it was to disprove the existence of God. He would have Christians in his classroom, and he would ask them at the very beginning of the class, he would say, how many of you are Christians? And a few would raise their hands, and he would tell them the whole objective behind the course was to disprove God's existence. As this professor would go on each and every year as he would teach that class, by the time he would get to the end of the semester and he would get to that final class, he would then ask the class, is there anyone here that still believes in God? Would you please stand up? And no students would stand up because they knew what was coming next. The professor would hold out a piece of chalk and he'd say, I can tell you that you are foolish if you believe it. Because if God were real, he could stop this piece of chalk from breaking, from hitting the floor and breaking into hundreds of pieces. And sure enough, he would drop the chalk, it would hit the floor and break into all kinds of pieces. Well, this young freshman came in after this professor teaching for over 20 years and he knew himself to be a Christian and he believed that he would be able to stand for his faith and he had to take this course. It was one of those requirements and so he was issued into the course and as he got in the course every day he would pray, God give me the boldness to speak truth. God give me the boldness to claim to my faith. God give me the boldness to stand up for you. And sure enough at the end of three months he gets to the end of class and the professor did what he always did. He proclaimed, he said, are there anyone here that still believes in God. And as always, he thought nobody would stand up because in 20 years, nobody had stood up. And this young freshman stands up. The professor looks back at him and says, you fool. If you truly believe in God, you are foolish. And he said, I can prove that God doesn't exist because if I drop this chalk, it will break into a thousand pieces. God can stop it. About that time, as he went to drop it, it hit off his hand, rolled down his sleeve, hit his pant leg, hit the end of his shoe and rolled off onto the floor and did not break. The professor, stunned in silence, and this is a true story, ran out of the classroom. That student then went to the front of the classroom and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ to 300 students so that they could know who the true God is. I'll tell you, I want to have that kind of boldness. The kind of boldness that says, I'll stand up when others fall down. The kind of boldness that says, I will proclaim truth when everyone else is proclaiming false things. I want to stand up. As I began to prepare this message, as I got my notes together, this song began to come through my head. And you've probably heard if you listen to Caleb, it simply says this, Give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Give me hope like Moses In the wilderness, give me a heart like David, Lord, be my defense, so I can face my giants with confidence. I had so many thoughts on what I would name this message, and it's simply facing my giants. So this morning, I want to talk to you about three stages the apostles had to deal with as they handled persecution so that we can learn to face our giants. The first stage that we're going to look at this morning is they remembered how they treated Jesus. Look at me in Acts 4, and we're going to begin in verse 23. Acts 4, beginning in verse 23 through 28, we remembered how they treated Jesus. It says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They remembered what they had done to Jesus. You see, what had happened up to this point as we've been going through the story, chapters 3 and 4 have kind of been the whole crux of the story. Peter and John have gone into the temple. As they were walking in, there was a beggar sitting on the side, and he was begging them for alms. Peter and John said, silver and gold have we not, but what we do have in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to get up and walk. And the man, sure enough, leapt up on his feet, which he had never walked before. It had been 40 years he had been lame, leapt up and began to leap through the temple, proclaiming the healing that God had done in his life. He then focused the attention to Peter and John, who then preached the gospel message before the people. It says that at that time, the church grew to 5,000. So there were probably 1,000 or more that may have gotten saved after that message. After that proclamation, they were then arrested and told never again to preach in the name of Jesus and never again to preach the resurrection. But Peter and John were not going to stand for that. And Peter simply said, whether it is right to obey you or to obey God, you make the choice. You decide. Well, it says that they wanted to punish them, but they couldn't because a notable miracle had taken place. They couldn't tell them to not do that. And so they said, you must stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And then they were sent away. Now, they've been told not to preach. They've been told not to proclaim it. And so what do they do? They go back to where the church is. They go back to where some of the others are at, and they want to tell them what has happened. Now, this could have been the end of the church. This could have been the breaking point. The disciples could have said, you know what? We're not going to disobey them. We're going to listen to them. We're going to follow them. We're going to do what they've told us to do. We're not going to proclaim Jesus any longer. And the church could have died. But they said, you know what? We're not going to do that. We're going to go back and we're going to get together and we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to do some mighty work in our lives. You see, you face many challenges. The question is, is what will you do when you're faced with a challenge? Well, these men said, you know, they got back, they reported it, and it said they gathered together in one accord and raised their voice to God. Now, I love that. They were unified with one another. They got together and said, you know what? The one thing we know we can do together is we can pray. We can get together and we can seek the face of God and we can ask him to come down boldly upon us and help us through this time. But they wanted to remember what Jesus had spoken to them. In fact, in John chapter 15, Jesus had proclaimed these words to them in John 15 and verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. You need to remember, if they did this to me, they're going to do it to you. Peter and John, as they prayed, as the disciples got together and prayed, they realized if they did it to Jesus, they'll do it to us. We better pray. We better be prepared. We better get ready. And so they began to pray, and they said this at the beginning, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. They began with creation. If you think about the God of creation, how he spoke everything into existence, how he created everything in its perfection, in its form. He put it in its place. He balances the earth in his hands. He keeps it rotating around the sun. Everything is divinely designed. If God can divinely design creation, whatever you're faced with is nothing. It's nothing for the God of the, one, of the creator of this world. It is nothing to him. 
He's got it all in his hands, including your problems. If God can design it and keep it going, and even though scientists will try to tell you climate control and carbon footprints and all this other stuff, let me tell you something. The world will not end until Jesus comes back. It's not going to happen. We don't have to worry about those things. He's already planned it out. He's already programmed it. He knows what he's doing. And so whatever problem you're faced with, God is the solution. He will take care of you. They cried out to the God of creation because it was a reminder to them of the graciousness of God. It was a reminder to them of the power of God. When you go to God in prayer, remember who you're going before. Remember who you're speaking to. I'll tell you, we need to learn how to pray again. We really do. I had a young man tell me one time, he said, I like to pray to the big man upstairs. I'm going to tell you, I think that's a little bit too soft I think that's a little bit too comfortable. I'm praying to the God of the universe, not the big guy. I'm praying to the almighty creator. I'm praying to the alpha and the omega. I'm praying to the provider, protector, sustainer, the lover. I'm praying to the savior, the Lord, and the master. I'm praying to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm not praying to some big guy. I'm praying to God. I'm praying to the creator. I'm praying to the one who watches over me day in and day out. I'm praying to the one who I know when I come into his presence, I better get on my face before him because he is worthy. So worthy. If we'll remember who we're praying to, I'm going to tell you the prayer request will roll off our tongues and we'll leave it at the feet of Jesus because we know he's got it. But not only did they remember that, they also talked about the prophecy that would be remembered in verse 25. Who by the mouth of your servant David said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. This comes from Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He quotes the Psalms. And he says, you know what? They, they stood against the Christ. They raged against him. They didn't like what he stood for. And you imagine, of course you wouldn't like what Jesus stood for if you stood for the opposite. If you stood for a works righteousness. If you stood for a way that you could get to heaven through the law. If you stood for a way that you could get there on your own. And Jesus comes in and says, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Of course, when he begins to preach an exclusive gospel message, those that are inclusive start to get scattered. They start to get upset. They start to be very afraid. And so Jesus proclaimed this and the nations began to rage. I'm going to tell you, the nations are still raging over the gospel of Jesus Christ. They do not like the idea that we proclaim there's only one way. I'm going to talk about it tonight when we talk about the uniqueness of the gospel in the gospel of Luke. They don't like the idea that there's only one way. They want there to be a multitude of ways. In fact, there's coming a day and age where the world religions are going to come together. Let me explain something to you. If all the religions can come together and come against Christianity, that ought to show you that there's one that stands out above all. They will all come against them. They will try to bring them all in. And they'll say, well, we want to have one faith. And we want to have one Lord. And we want to serve one God. And we want to believe that everybody can get to heaven. Let me tell you, the gospel is not inclusive. It's not broad, broad is not the way that we should go. It is down the narrow path that only comes through Jesus Christ. But let me explain something to you. That may be narrow, but everybody can go down it. The gospel is offered to every single person that would believe in him and trust in his son, Jesus Christ. He just simply says, there's just one way. But the nations raised. They turned against the Christ. And in verse 27, it says, For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. 
listen to what he says there. All of these people, Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, he didn't leave anybody out. They were all against Jesus. They all were the ones yelling, crucify him. They all were the ones wanting to persecute him. They were all the ones not believing in him. They all gathered together. But look at what it says, to do whatever your hand and your purpose before determined to do it on. Think about that. Acts chapter 2, Peter had already preached that in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you've taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. This was God's plan from the beginning. God's plan was always to send his son. God knew that we would sin, that we would fall short, and we would need an escape, and the only escape would come through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. God determined it beforehand. This was his plan. It was not like it took him by surprise when they put his son on the cross. It did not take him by surprise when they took him off the cross and they buried him in a tomb. It did not take him by surprise when three days later he rose up from the dead. It was God's plan. They could not differentiate from it. God had already planned it out. You say, well, brother, I mean, Pontius Pilate did his part and Herod did his part and the Gentiles and Israel did their part. They did. They rejected it on their own merits. They rejected it by their own free will. God knew the hearts of man that they would turn from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew it, and it was ordained, and it was planned out. God moved in a mighty way. I love this because the thing is, when you look at it from the very beginning, the very first prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 proclaimed it. He will bruise your heel but you will crush his head. The gospel was all the way back in Genesis. All the way back at the beginning, God never lost sight of what he would have to do. So they remembered how they treated Jesus. Number two, they pleaded for God to give them boldness. Look at verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant. Jesus. They said, look on the threats. They didn't say stop the threats. They didn't ask God to remove the threats. They didn't ask God to remove the persecution. They didn't ask God to stop all the banter and all the problems. They didn't ask God to keep them from going into prison. They didn't ask God to keep them from losing their lives. They actually prayed something completely different. Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with boldness we may speak your word. God, even though we may be threatened, even though our life may be put on the line, even though imprisonment may be coming our way, even though we may go through all of those things, we pray you give us boldness to stand strong don't take away the problems don't take away the persecution don't take away the suffering but give us boldness to stand in the midst of this acts chapter 9 verse 1 says paul saul was still breathing threats against the church they had to deal with threats constantly they had to deal with stuff that we as christians don't deal with today let's be honest in america we don't have to worry about being in prison for what we believe at least not yet we don't have to be worry about losing our life for the cause of christ at least not yet we don't have that. We, we have such freedom here in America. But I'm here to tell you, I'm afraid that may be what the problem is, why it's such easy believism in America today. 
The early Christians said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We don't understand that today. Because we are too afraid that if we lose a friend, that's persecution. That's not persecution for the cause of Christ. If you lose a friend, it should be because you told them about Jesus and they wanted to deny it. They didn't want to believe it. But that's not persecution. These men pray for boldness. They pray for strength. The Bible had already told them they had several opportunities to be bold. In fact, one of those opportunities is they had boldness in entering into the throne room of God. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Not only that, they were called to have boldness even in the midst of death, according to Philippians 1, verse 20 and 21. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 taught them to have boldness even in the midst of the judgment. That one day when they'd stand before God, they could stand before him boldly because of what Jesus Christ had done for them. But this wasn't the boldness they were asking for they weren't asking for boldness when it comes to salvation they were asking for boldness to share the gospel no matter what came their way you know it's interesting when you think about the disciples and what they went through they were all went through a very difficult time peter by the end of his life was crucified on a crucifix upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die like his savior andrew was crucified on an x-shaped cross where he died for his faith as well. John was exiled to Patmos, where on the exile of Patmos, he more than likely starved to death or died because of the elements of the island. You also have James was killed by the sword. We find that in Acts chapter 12 and verse 2. Matthew was impelled by a spear. Philip was crucified. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was clubbed, scourged, and then beheaded. Labius Thaddeus was crucified. James the Lesser was beaten, stoned, and clubbed. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Thomas was speared by four officers. Of course, Judas Iscariot hung himself, but... The replacement for Judas was Matthias, and he was burned to death. But one that really stood out to me was a disciple of the apostle John, and his name is Antipas. And a lot of people don't know who Antipas is, but Antipas was a disciple of John and became the bishop of the church of Pergamum. Pagan priests were upset with him because the people were leaving the traditional gods and beginning to follow Jesus Christ. So they took Antipas and they put him inside of a bronze bull and they lit it on fire and cooked him to death as a sacrifice to their gods. Do you know that Antipas is actually talked about in Scripture? He's found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my fate, even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. What a word. What boldness. That even when threatened with death, even when threatened with losing their life, they would not stop proclaiming the gospel. Where's our boldness today? 
Where is our willingness to stand up for truth? Where is our willingness to stand against the crowd? Where is our willingness to stand against the things this world are teaching today? Where is our willingness to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Where is our willingness to proclaim boldly what our friends need to hear? And that's who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for them. I'm here to tell you, Wilson County needs to know about Jesus Christ. When 53% are unchurched, we have a work to do. We've got people to reach. We've got a goal that needs to be met and shame on us if we fail to proclaim the gospel shame on us if we fail to do what God has called us to do these men faced death they faced imprisonment and they still told others about Jesus Christ come what may but in verse 30 they kept on praying he said by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus Why would they pray for this? Well, they understood that the signs and the wonders gave credence and credibility to what they taught. In fact, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, they said this, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. In verse 43 of that same chapter, it says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. In Acts chapter 5, and verse 12, it says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. In Acts chapter 6, and verse 8, it said, And Stephen, full of faith and of power, did great wonders and signs among the people. In the book of Hebrews chapter 2, and verse 4, it tells us why these signs and wonders were done, to give credence to the message. It says, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the holy spirits according to his own will the whole purpose behind it was to say hey look their message is genuine it's true and god's power rests upon them and god's power did rest upon them it rested upon the church in a mighty way where people were seeing amazing things happen they believed they had faith to see god do great and awesome works They prayed for boldness. Lastly, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. There's three things we're going to look at here. They were shaken. How cool would that have been? You know, when the place shakes, it shows that God's presence is there. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, Exodus 19, 18 It says, now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in a fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and a whole mountain quaked greatly. Not only did it happen then, but it also happened in the book of Isaiah when Isaiah stood before the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah 6 and verse 4, it said this, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the voice was filled with smoke. Whenever God's presence came down upon the people, it usually came with a shaking and it came with smoke. I remember one time I was at our church in North Carolina and I was in my office and I was praying. And I was just praying for some normal things, nothing really big. And as I began to pray, all of a sudden I felt the church shake. And after it shook, I thought to myself, Lord, I could have been praying for something a little bit better for you to shake the church over. About a few seconds later I get a phone call from my wife and she calls me and she says hey uh, I think something's wrong with my car I said well what happened she said well the car started shaking so I started going I wonder what's going on so of course I look it up and sure enough there had been an earthquake in Virginia that came all the way down into North Carolina so I was hoping it was God's presence 
And I think that's what we would do a lot of times. If we felt something quake, we would think it has to be natural as opposed to supernatural. But I'm here to tell you, I'd love for God to shake the church. I'd love for God to come down in such a way that he fills this place with smoke. And we either fall on our faces or we run out the door. I want to see God show up in a mighty way that can only be exclaimed as coming from God. I want to see God do amazing things. Because when that happens, that's what happens next. It says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So not only did God shake the place, he filled them with the Holy Spirit. He shook them up. The Bible talks about it. Every one of us needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is within you. The problem is, is oftentimes we as Christians suppress the Holy Spirit. We're scared of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about God and we'll talk about Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is the one part of the Trinity that we will ignore. But the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, the word there for filled is a continuous action. It is be filled and keep on being filled. In other words, you want the Holy Spirit poured into your life every single moment, every single day. You want him filling you so he'll direct you, guide you, speak through you and use you for the glory of God. Well, he filled them immensely. He would use them immensely. We need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit today. We need to be seeking the face of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, which when that happens, we will boldly proclaim the gospel. Because look at what it says, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Oh, I want to have boldness like that. I want to have the boldness of Moses. You know, Moses was afraid to go back before Pharaoh. Can you imagine why? Of course, he had killed an Egyptian. He had run away for 40 years, and God called him to go back. He had to face Pharaoh. He had to face a young man that he had been raised with, a young man who believed him to be his brother in a way. He had to go back and ask him to release over 2 million slaves, slaves that built his cities and slaves that built his towns and basically built everything around the land of Egypt. And he had to go back and say, you need to set them free. Well, it wasn't but by the grace of God that Moses had boldness because he didn't have boldness on his own because he even said, Lord, I can't speak. And God said, who made man's tongue? You see, I want you to understand you don't have an excuse for not sharing the gospel. You can't say, well, I can't speak. And God's going to say, I made your tongue. You can't say, God, I can't tell that to other people. And God's going to say, I'll be God through you. I'll be your voice. I'll speak through you. All you have to do is be a ready, available vessel as Moses was. And God used him to deliver the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. I also think of the boldness of David. Isn't it amazing that David was just a rudy young man, maybe 16, 17 years old when he goes to the battlefield? Nothing spectacular. He goes to the battlefield. The giant Goliath has been taunting the people for 40 days. 40 days he's taunted the people, and nobody will fight him. He says, send out your greatest warrior. I'll battle him. I'll kill him. And then you give yourselves over to us. He never believed he was going to lose until all of a sudden this rudy little shepherd boy came on the scene. And he hears the giant taunting the people of Israel. And he says, who does this guy think he is? Who does he think he is? I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what he's wearing. I can beat him. He goes before Saul. And Saul goes, you're just... This guy's been killing kids since he was your age. And you're wanting to go up and face him because I've killed bear and lion. And this uncircumcised Philistine is no greater a challenge. He's defied the Lord God and I'll take him down. 
Saul sent him out. He said, well, I'm going to make sure I put my armor on you. And he tried, and it couldn't fit, and he couldn't work. And so David goes out there with a sling and five stones. Guys, that just shows you God will use whatever you got. He went out to face a giant with armor. He went out to face a giant that had an armor bearer that carried his shield for him, who obviously failed. He went out there to a giant that had a sword that probably the size of David. And he went out there and he faced him with a sling and five stones. Now, I remember when growing up and hearing that story, my dad used to teach that he had five stones because Goliath had four brothers. I don't know how true that is. I think he just took five stones in case he missed. But he believed at least one of the five was going to kill him. He went out there believing he had faith. I want to have that kind of boldness. But I think the most impressive to me is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want to have the faith like them. That when I'm faced with the fire, I say, throw me in if you have to. But I love their faith because here's what they proclaimed. And it's one of those statements that sticks out to me all the time. We believe our God can deliver us. But even if, even if he does not, we will not bow down. I want to have that kind of faith. I want to have the kind of faith that says, God, you can slay me, you can kill me, you can do what you want with me, but I'm going to proclaim the gospel loud and bold. And whether people want to hear it or not, I'm still going to proclaim it. They can throw stuff at me, they can abuse me, they can imprison me, they can kill me, but I have to make certain they know who you are. I want that kind of boldness. I hope you do. You see, I'm afraid today we don't have that kind of boldness. We're too afraid to lose friends. We're too afraid to lose our jobs. We're too afraid to lose our family. We're too afraid to lose the things of this world. And let me tell you, the Bible tells you don't worry about the things of this world. I got better things for you. The truth of the matter is, is I want everybody to go with me. I don't want to lose family. I don't want to see my family not in heaven with me. I don't want to see my friends not in heaven with me. I don't want to see other people not in heaven with me. Because God has given us a way. But it's time for us as Christians to be bolder than we've ever been before. We are living in a nation that has turned from God so quickly it'll make your head spin. We're living in a nation that is preaching pragmatic theology. They're teaching you to do whatever feels good. We've got schools that are training our children in things that are so anti-biblical it is ridiculous. We better stand up and we better stand up soon or we're going to lose every battle we face. It is time for us as Christians to get a backbone, have some boldness, and stand up to the things that are going on in this nation. And then dare them to throw us in prison and let them throw millions of us in prison for the cause of Christ. And see then if they'll feed us and take care of us. The truth is, is we've got to stand up for truth. We've got to stop bowing down to this nation. We must stop bowing down to the theology and the principles that they're trying to teach. We better stand up or we're going to lose and it's not going to be pretty. We've got to have boldness to proclaim the gospel. That is the one thing God has called all of us to do. And if we lose our boldness, if we lose the gospel, the disciples could have quit and the church would have ended. My question for you today, one simple question. If every Christian shared the gospel like you, where would the church be tomorrow? If you have to say the church would no longer exist, can you really claim you're a Christian?
Because the Bible says if you're not gathering, you're scattering. Oh God, give us boldness like we've never had before. Let's pray. Father, I beg of you to give me more boldness. There are so many people in this world that need to know who you are. So many even right here in our own community